to keep yourself from falling in this trap, Peter says, you need to love people deeply and sincerely because love covers a multitude of sins. Thanks for joining us for today's Covenant Living broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church in Bremen, Georgia. On today's broadcast, Pastor Butler continues in the series entitled, Fruit of the Spirit. This is part number two, and it is entitled, Love That Overcomes. And now, here is Pastor John Butler with today's broadcast. So last week, we started a series on the fruit of the Spirit that I have cleverly called the Fruit of the Spirit series. And so I want to remind you of what we learned last week. The first message was called Living in the Tree of Life that we did last week. And I want to remind you of what we learned because, because this series builds, it builds on that. Here, here's three things. First of all, the fruit of the Spirit grows from God's character. The fruit of the Spirit grows from God's character. All the attributes that make up the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, uh, long-suffering, all of that stuff, is actually what forms the character and the nature of God. It's who He is. So this is not just a behaviors for us to adopt. This is the heart of God. Secondly, the fruit of the Spirit grows from our decisions, from our choices. We can choose to live in the tree of life, which connects us to the character and nature of God and leads to eternal life, or we can choose to live in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which leads us to, to obey our own desires of our flesh. Here's the third thing. The fruit of the Spirit is one fruit. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit, singular. If you want the fruit to grow in your life, then you've got to develop all of them because they're all part of God's character and nature. And they, they are developed by having a relationship with God through His Spirit, through His Son, Jesus. And in, in the world today, His Holy Spirit is what empowers us and enables us to grow this fruit. So you can't develop the fruit of the Spirit until you surrender to the Holy Spirit in your life. Now today, we're going to talk about the first attribute in the list of the fruit of the Spirit, and that is love. Love. Now, the challenge for me today is not in what to say. The challenge is in what I don't get to say. Because we could talk about the love of God for the rest of the year. That'd be a good place for you to say, man, if you understand a little bit about the love of God. We, because it's, it's endless, it's inexhaustible, the conversations. But today we're going to just talk about three things, and we'll get to those in just a moment. Let's read Romans chapter 5, then we'll pray and we'll get started. If you'll look, this first sentence is a transition. If you look to that second sentence, for we know how dearly God loves us because He's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. God has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with God's love. King James says He's given us the Holy Spirit to shed the love of God abroad in our hearts. It, the love of God comes from the work and the operation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you'd help us today not just to be hearers of your word, but to be doers. God, I pray that through your Spirit, you would illuminate our hearts, our minds, our spirits with the truth of your word. Lord, I pray that you would make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In the Netherlands, in Europe, in World War II, Corrie ten Boom and the rest of her family hid Jewish people in their homes from the Nazis who had taken over Holland uh, at that time. One of their countrymen found out what they were doing and reported them to the Nazis. 
and their family was arrested, and Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy were taken to a concentration camp for the remainder of the years of the war. Now, her sister Betsy died there. She died 15 days before Corey was released accidentally. She was a clerical error that got her released. Within one week of her mistaken release, every woman in the concentration camp was executed. It's an incredible story, and the way God moved in them and through them and because of them is incredible. It just scratches, what I just told you, just scratches the surface of what God did through them. The story is told in a book called The Hiding Place. The Hiding Place. Now, before she died, Betsy, Corey's sister, told Corey, she said this, There is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. There is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. Listen, I can't think, I was a history major before I switched to middle grades education. I, I love studying about history and, and, and in particular war, World War II. I, I know a great deal about concentration camps and I can't, I can't think of a deeper pit to be found in. I can't think of a, of a situation that is more desperate than being in a German concentration camp in the 40s. But it was in that pit that Betsy and Corey learned that the depths of God's love is not just for them, it's for everybody. It's not just for them, it's for everybody. I mean, what else do you call it besides divine? Because, because what she did after, the, after this thing was over is that she looked up her captors, she looked up those who had held her captive, in particular the one that was the most cruel to her and to her sister, and in 1946, she looked them up and she said, I forgive you and I love you. One year after the war was over, she found them and told them, I love you, I forgive you. What else do you call that except divine? What else, how else do you characterize that thing that causes you to risk your life for people you don't even know to hide them from the enemy in your, in your country. How else can you describe that, that ability to forgive your torturer? It is only the love of God. It's only the love of God. It's only a divine love that can cause a person to do that. Listen, natural love doesn't do that. That capacity is not in us as humans. But when a person surrenders himself or surrenders herself to the Holy Spirit and allows the character and the nature of God to grow in them, then that kind of love is produced that, that goes way beyond our own natural ability. Listen, there is a love that comes from God, and it is a love that overcomes. Amen? It's a love that overcomes. It overcomes being in a concentration camp. The love of God overcomes being tormented and abused, both in World War II and in your life. The love of God overcomes the trials and the tribulations and the pain and the tears and the shame and the grief and the regret. The love of God is a balm that when, you, when it pours over your wounds, then it brings a healing that you've never dreamed of. 
The love of God is, brings about an enabling that you never thought was possible. The love of God is a key that breaks the bondage of sin and of addiction and oppression in your life, and it sets you free. And when he makes you free, you are free indeed. Listen, no matter what obstacle you face in your life, whether it's in your past whether it's in your present or in, in what you think is going to happen in your future, the love of God can overcome that. You say, well, John, why are you so, how are you so convinced of that? Because Romans 8 and 37, the book that we build our lives on, says this, no, despite all these things, and it doesn't matter what these things are, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. It's the love of Jesus that causes us to overcome. The King James says we've been made more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's how I know that there is a love that overcomes. And so today we're going to talk about three areas of our lives where we commonly need the love of God to help us overcome. All right? Here's the first one. Here's the first one. Love that overcomes hate. Love that overcomes hate. I want to show you two passages of two passages of scripture. First John chapter four, and then in Luke chapter ten, we're going to read First John first. We love each other because He loved us first. We can love each other because Christ loved us first. Pay attention to this. If someone says I love God but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. If someone, listen, y'all, this is the, just the truth of the word. You can't say amen to the truth. It's not even mine. This is the word of God. you got to say amen, so let it be, to the truth of the word of God. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, they're a liar. If we don't love people we can see, how do we love God whom we can't see? And he's given us this command, those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. That's the Apostle John, the word of the Lord from the, through the Apostle John. Let me show you what Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 10, verse, verse 25. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? It's a legitimate question. Jesus replied, What's the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man said this, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And... Love your neighbor as yourself. Those two things go together. Inseparable. Jesus said, you're right. You do that, and you'll live. Then the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And after this question, Jesus goes into the, the parable, the account of the Good Samaritan, and answers his question for him. Listen, there is so much hatred in the world today. So much hatred in this country today. I don't think I have ever seen our country more divided than it is appears to be now. I don't think I've ever seen people so entrenched in their own opinions and so convinced that everybody who disagrees with them is their mortal enemy. Right? Uh, and there's, ne there's definitely never been the tools available for people to spread those hateful opinions as there are right now through social media. Listen, hatred is filling the land, and we as believers have a responsibility to fight back. We have to fight back 
But listen, not with words that further divide us, not with our own opinions. We as believers have the responsibility to fight back with the love of Jesus. You've seen this all over the place this week, I'm sure, but it's Dr. King that said, hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And since God is love, the only source for love that we have to drive out hate is the love of God. And that love flows through His children, through us. Sharing the love of Jesus is our highest call as believers. Sharing the love of Jesus is our highest call as believers. This world does not need our opinions. They do not need our judgments. They they do not need our condemnation. What the world needs from us is the love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Why is it that I say it's our highest call? Because if we don't do it, how will they ever know the love of God? Plenty of opinions around. A dime a dozen. You can get plenty of opinions. Plenty of judgment. Plenty of condemnation. Plenty of criticism. There's only one source for the love of God, and that's us. John said it in this passage. He said, if we we who are believers and claim to love God are actually being vehicles of hatred and division, then our love for God is a lie. We are deceiving ourselves, and that's the worst kind of lie. You cannot hate someone who claims to be a fellow believer. You can't. If you do, God says, you're not a believer. And then Jesus said in Luke, the greatest commandments are to love God, and they're inseparable. You can't just do one and not the other. He said you have to love God and you have to love your neighbor. And then he told the parable of the Good Samaritan that defined who the neighbor is. The story demonstrated your neighbor is everybody, including the person that you hate the most. Including the person you hate the most. So what does that mean? It means if you're a believer, you don't get to hate anybody. You say, well, I've got a right to hate anybody I want to. You sure do, but you can't be a believer and do that. You have to choose. Do you want to exercise your right to hate? Or do you want to participate in the kingdom of God? But you can't do both. You have to love everybody, even the person who treated you the worst, even the person who did that to you on purpose, even the person who makes you sick to look at them. Even the person you think is inferior to you in some way. Every member of a different race. Every member of a different political party. Every member of a different religion. You ready? Every member of ISIS. Every member of the Black Panthers and the KKK. Every legal and illegal immigrant. Every person, gay, straight, or undecided. Every person that you come in contact with, you are commanded by Jesus Christ to love them. And the parable of the Good Samaritan, which Jesus told to clarify who our neighbor is, demonstrates that love is not an emotion. It is not a warm and fuzzy feeling. Love is a sacrificial action that you take on behalf of another person. Love is a sacrificial action that you take on behalf of another person. 
In other words, you can't just say you love them. You have to show it. And I want to offer as, as evidence two things. We're going to show Romans something or other. Show Romans 12 in just a second. But in the parable of the Good Samaritan, do you realize that the man, that the Good Samaritan, the person he helped was a person of a, of a race that would not speak to them, that considered them lower than a dog? Uh, uh, the, the man that he helped would not have spit on him if he was on fire. The man that he helped, he picked him up, put him on his own animal, took him to a hotel, paid for the room, paid for the doctor to come and visit him, and said, if it goes over what I've given you, I'll come back and pay the difference. For a person he didn't know. That was the example that Jesus used of loving your neighbor. Here's what Romans says. So, he, so the guy didn't just say, oh, I love you, and keep walking. Romans 12 says this, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. You don't need the gift of interpretation for that one, right? I mean, don't pretend, don't fake it. Really love them. Hate what's wrong. So you're like, how do I love a person in the KKK when I hate everything they stand for? Hate what's wrong, but you hold tight to what's good. What's good? Love being somebody, even your enemy. Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring each other. We don't get to hate. You say, John, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I don't love like that. I, don't love, I was raised to hate. I was raised to think less of others who are different from me. I was raised to divide people, separate people. Put them on my scale and measure them by my standards. What do I do about that? You better be seeking a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the only source for a love that overcomes hate is a God who doesn't just live with you, but who lives in you. And that's the Holy Spirit. He's the one who puts the love of God in your heart. Romans 5 just said that. The, the source for the love of God is the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love that overcomes hate because God is love. He is love. Here's the second thing. Love, the fruit of the Spirit is love that overcomes offense. Not, not, not a fence, not a chain link or whatever, offense. It's football season. We can say offense, okay? Love that overcomes offense. Go dogs, all right? Offense, being offended. The love of God is a powerful thing. Can, you, can we all agree on that? The love of God is a powerful thing. Maybe the most powerful force in the universe. But did you know there is an enemy of the love of God that if you give it permission will snuff out the power of the love of God in your heart and in your life. Those who, who came on our Wednesday night series for the bait of Satan, you already know what this is, but I want to show it to everybody else in the, in the Scriptures. Remind us, because we constantly need to be reminded of this. Jesus was answering a question in, Mark, in, in Matthew chapter 24. He was answering a question about the end times, and he says this, beginning in verse 9, Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. 
You'll be hated all over the world because you're my followers. Well, isn't that good news? Don't you just feel warm and fuzzy now? And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Well, look at verse 12. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. Sin will be rampant everywhere, the love of many will grow cold. I want you to see something before you can really understand this verse. The word that's translated love there is agape, and that is the unconditional love of God. It's the kind of love that only comes from God. That's how we know that, that Jesus is not talking to the world here because the world does not have the love of God in their hearts. He loves them, but they don't have the love of God in their hearts. What Jesus said is, there will be people in the last days who, who have the love of God in their hearts, but something will happen to them that will cause the love of God, the most powerful force in the universe, to grow cold. And he tells us what it is in verse 10. He says, many will betray and hate each other. Well, what happens when somebody betrays you? You get offended. You get offended. Now, we've talked about this before, but when you are offended, you're the one who's suffering. You are the one who's suffering. The person who offended you is probably fine, but you keep reliving this offense, this abuse in your mind over and over and over again, and every time you do, you die a little bit more on the inside. Maybe the scariest part of this verse is that it says the love of many will grow cold. It doesn't say it will turn cold. It says it will grow cold. It, it, you, you don't just suddenly change. It's not like today you're, you have the love of God in your heart and tomorrow you have no love of God in your heart. It's so subtle that most people don't realize it's happening to them. Other people may have to bring it to your attention because it's like boiling a frog. In reverse, right? It's the, 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 it happens so slowly you don't recognize the temperature is changing around you. Let me ask you this. How much of the love of God is flowing in your life today as opposed to where you were a year ago with the Lord? Two years ago. Five years ago. Has your love grown cold? Little by little day by day, one memory at a time. Has your love grown cold? The number one reason the love of God can't flow in your life is because you allow offense to exist. When you don't deal with that offense, it turns into a root of bitterness. And Paul warned us not to allow a root of bitterness to grow in our lives. Why? Because it entwines itself in everything that tries to grow and it poisons it, and it chokes the life out of it. You will never have good fruit in your life when there's a root of bitterness. Now, if that's you, let me try to help you feel a little bit better. Jesus said it would happen to many. The love of many will grow cold. You are not alone in the fact that you're offended. As a matter of fact, Jesus said it's impossible for you to live this life and not have the opportunity to be offended. But just because you have the opportunity to be offended doesn't mean you have to accept the opportunity. Just because you accept the opportunity doesn't mean you have to allow it to stay in your life. And just because you've allowed it to stay and that your love has grown cold doesn't mean you can't reverse the effects of that offense in your life. 
you can be healed. You can renew the love of God in your heart. You can forgive that person or those people. How do you do that? The same love that was shed abroad in your heart, you ask God to renew it. You ask God to help you, and He will. You say, look, but you don't know what they did to me. You don't know the sins that were committed against me. And listen, I'm not belittling that at all. I'm I'm not making that less difficult than it has been because I know a lot of stories of a lot of people in here, and there are a lot of folks who have been through a lot of difficult things. I've been through a few things myself. So I'm not making light of that at all, but I want you to look at what the Word of God says. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 says this, The end of the world is coming soon, therefore be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, when the Bible says most important of all, you should probably perk up and pay attention. Continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Peter says the end is coming. So the most important thing you can do is to love people because love covers a multitude of sins. Let me make sure you understand how important this is. Peter was standing right there when Jesus said in Matthew 24 that in the last days the love of many would grow cold. So this is several decades removed, and Peter's standing here going, yep, we're living in the last days, and the love of many is growing cold. So you've got to make sure to keep yourself from falling in this trap. Peter says you need to love people deeply and sincerely because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, listen, I've been there, and I know the, react, the gut reaction to that is... I don't want their sin covered. I want it exposed, and I want justice to be served. Are you sure? Are you sure that's what you want? Are you sure you want God to be just? See, the difficult thing about the love of God, you're like, what in the world is difficult about the love of God? The difficult thing about the love of God is that it covers other people's sins. Sins that were committed against you. The great thing about the love of God is that it covers your sins too. See, here's the problem. We can't have it both ways. We've either got a God whose love covers everybody's sin, or we've got a God who gives everybody what they deserve. So if you want to withhold forgiveness from other people, you can expect to have it withheld from you. That's what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. This is, it, it, this is uh, it's football season, so there's you know, thousands of hot, sweaty boys around the football field and that's quoting this before football games. Give us today our daily bread. Right? Did y'all, y'all didn't go to high school. No, y'all? Okay, never mind. Give us today the food we need. This is New, New Living Translation. Verse 12, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, deliver, but rescue us, deliver us from the evil one. So just in case you were confused about what he said the verse before, Jesus clarifies, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. That's good news, but do you see a sense of butt coming? But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Doesn't say he can't. He's refusing to forgive your sins as long as you're holding somebody else's sin 
over their head. You're like, John, you're the only person in the world who can preach on love and make everybody offended in the congregation. We're talking about producing love in our lives. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. We're talking about producing the character and the nature of God. And the nature of God is to love people enough to cover a multitude of sin. John, how do you know that? Because He forgave you. And He forgave me. I know what that person did or said was horrible and offensive, but did they nail you to a cross? I know it was hard to swallow. I know it was hard to, it's hard to stop thinking about it, but did they put a crown of thorns on your head and then drive it in with a stick? That's what they did to Jesus because of my sin and your sin. It was our sin that put him there. It was our sin that caused him to endure that kind of torture. But what did he say about those people who did that to him? Luke 23 and 34, Jesus on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. These are professional torturers and executioners. They do this every day for a living. Jesus said, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. Lord, forgive them. Here's the bottom line. We who are followers of Jesus have been called to produce much fruit. That's, that's John 15. And part of that fruit is love. So holding on to offenses will make our love grow cold. Jesus forgave us for all the things we did to Him. So who are we not to forgive others for what they've done to us? The love of God covers a multitude of sins. Our sins and their sins. Let me give you some encouragement from the Word. Remember, Jesus said in John 15 that if, if, if the true disciples would produce much fruit, if they would abide in Him and if His Word would abide in them. So if offense causes the love of God to grow cold, look at what happens when you stay uh, connected to Jesus, if you abide in Jesus. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 17, we know how much God loves us, and we've put our trust in His love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in in them. So you see that connection there? there? There's that abiding in me and I'm in you. And as we live in God, our love grows, grows more perfect. It grows more perfect when you stay connected to Him. You forgive others, you stay connected to Jesus, your love grows more perfect and more complete. The fruit of the Spirit is love that overcomes offense. Here's the last point. So, some of you are thinking, okay, I'm doing all right. I'm doing pretty good. I don't hate people, you know. Uh, I'm not offended by anybody as far as I know. So I'm, I'm doing pretty good with this love thing. Okay, so the love, of the, the, the love that the Spirit produces in your life overcomes hate. It overcomes being offended. Here's the last one. It's love that overcomes lukewarmness. Love that overcomes lukewarmness. When I started planning this message a couple weeks ago, I felt like this is what the Lord spoke to me. And I didn't like it, but it's true. He said, maybe the most telling evidence that we lack the love of God in our lives is not that we hate people, 
It said, we don't care one way or the other. It's not that we want people to go to hell. It's just we don't love them enough to do anything about it. Listen, it's not the fruit of the Spirit that causes you to love your spouse and love your kids and love your friends. That is well within the scope of our human love. Jesus said sinners can do that. Anybody can do that. You give love, you get love. It's a great, it's a great thing. We're not called to love people because they deserve it. We're not called to love people because they love us back. We're called to love because He loved us first. So, so when you love the hard to love and the unloved and the unlovable, when you love your enemies, when you love a stranger, when you love the world enough to give, that's the love the Holy Spirit brings into your life. Love people enough to give them. What is it John 3.16 says? For God so loved the world that He gave Listen, you can give something to people with not, without loving them, but you cannot love somebody without giving. Not the agape kind of love. That's that unconditional, sacrificial kind of love. It always gives. So we have to love people enough to give. Give them our time. Give them our attention. Love them enough to give them a smile, to give them some encouragement. Love them enough to show them some mercy. Show them some grace when they don't deserve it. Love them enough to give them the gospel when the opportunity arises. In other words, love the way Jesus loved. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. When we develop the character and the nature of God, we love everybody we come in contact with. Because God so loved the world that He gave Jesus to save them. I don't know a single person who is full of God's Spirit and producing fruit in their lives who's not passionate about souls. If you meet somebody who claims to be full of the Spirit and, and producing fruit in their life and they don't care about souls, you need to watch out for that person. Because souls is why He died for. Souls is why He died. Shouldn't souls be why we live? What can we do if we get... What, what could we do if we get full of God's love? What is possible in this world if believers get full of God's love? What's possible? What's possible if we get full of God's Spirit? Because that's the only place the fruit of the Spirit comes from. What could happen? Could we forgive our tormentors like Corey Ten Boom did? Could we love others like the Good Samaritan did? Could we generously give to people who need it the most? I mean, what could we do? Love overcomes hate. Love overcomes being offended. Love overcomes lukewarmness. And it only comes from the Holy Spirit. We've got to be filled with the Spirit of God. Today. 
But John, why, why should we be filled with God's Spirit? Because you can't develop the fruit of the Spirit until the person of the Spirit is allowed to move in your life. It's time to take the brakes off. Because when you have the brakes on in your life with, the, with what the Holy Spirit does, you can't develop the character and nature of God. You cannot become more like Jesus unless the work of the Holy Spirit is allowed to operate in your life. There's this imagery of the river in Ezekiel. You remember that? Big river, big wide river. And he said, you go out a certain distance and it's up to your ankles and you go out a little, little further and it's up to your knees and go out a little further and it's water to swim in. Over your head, in other words. I don't know where you are with the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you, there's a bunch of ways to get in the river. Y'all ever swam in a river? A bunch of ways to get in. You know, careful people like me, we, we start with the toes. Ease on up to the knees. There are the brave souls who go up on the highest rock they can find and jump in head first. Some of y'all are that person. Some of you that have kind of a flat side on your head or a little skint part. A lot of ways to get in the river. Some people just kind of go and dive straight in and swim out. Listen, I don't care how you get in the river, but it's time for this church to get in the river. So John, you're trying to make all of us into tongue-talking Pentecostals. <laughs> Listen, that is the least of my worries. I want to make you fruit-bearing whatever you are. I don't care how you label yourself. We got to bear fruit. And you cannot bear the fruit of the Spirit without allowing the Holy Spirit to operate in your life. You say, John, I'm, I'm kind of nervous about this Holy Spirit deal. I get it. Me too. Because I'm a control freak. Or have been in my life. I'm not confessing that anymore. Because God's changing me. Hallelujah. Valor said, Amen. Hallelujah. Woo. When you surrender control to somebody other than yourself, it's a fearful thing when you're a control freak. I get it. But at some point, you realize you are not able to bring about what needs to be brought about in your life. It is not by might. It's not by power. It's not by your human nature. It's not by your works. It's not by how good you can live. It's not by how many times you come to church, how much you read the Bible, or even how much you pray. It's by the Holy Spirit, saith the Lord. She's like, well, John, I have this belief about the Holy Spirit and what that means. Good, whatever. Just get in. He'll teach you. You'll figure it out. Y'all figure it out together. Just get in. Because this world's dying around us while we're standing on the riverbank trying to decide if that's for us or not. It's for, it, you know what? It ain't for you. It's for the kingdom. It's for the kingdom. People are dying of starvation. We're supposed to be bearing the fruit of the Spirit. People are dying of thirst. We're supposed to have rivers of living water flowing from our bellies. Y'all stand with me, please.
We pray that you've been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast with Pastor John Butler. We'd love to connect with you. So join us on our website, covenantlifewestga.org. That's covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. And give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast to receive more inspirational messages. Then share it with a friend. On behalf of Pastor John Butler and the Covenant Living Broadcast, make it a great week. We'll see you next time.